0: LinkedIn presents. As the astronaut selection manager, our goal is always to select a crew that is representative of our nation. Um, The astronauts are the face of NASA, so when they are out and promoting whatever is going on at NASA or promoting STEM education, we want folks to be able to relate to them in all kinds of ways. So being able to see a black astronaut or a woman astronaut on this really important mission, I think is important. So I feel a sense of responsibility in making sure that we continue to build diversity into our astronaut core so we can continue to do that.
1: Now, I remember being a kid growing up in Florida, not that far from Cape Canaveral, watching all of the shuttle launches and wondering if maybe, just maybe one day, That would be me. And I imagine many of you out there probably felt the same way. And perhaps you're still curious about what it would take to actually pursue that path. Well, in this episode, I'm really excited to be sitting down with April Jordan to reveal the answer to those questions. April is the Deputy HR Director for NASA's West Coast Operations. She is also the Manager of Astronaut Selection at NASA. So we're going to get into all of that and more right now. Amplify connects, develops, and empowers the next generation of transformative people leaders through HR Executive Search and the Amplify Academy Learning and Leadership Development Platform. Our executive search practice brings a modern approach to executive search by transparent pricing, unique access to emerging and established leaders, and onboarding advisory, our Amplify Academy is changing how HR practitioners and leaders develop their careers through peer communities, the AI Learning Lab, and leadership development cohorts. Together, these platforms support our mission of building a better world of work by elevating the field of HR. You can learn more at amplifytalent.com. Now, on to the show. Hey, everyone. And welcome to Redefining Work podcast. I'm your host, Lars Schmidt. And today, today is a special day. It's a special day for me. I think it's a special day for all of you who are listeners. I imagine many of you uh, grew up with some dreams or aspirations about becoming an astronaut, maybe working in space, maybe working in the agency that has probably done more to progress humanity than uh, I think pretty much any other agency out there. And that would be NASA. And if that is you, like me, then today you're in for a treat because we're going to be speaking with April Jordan. She is the Deputy HR Director for the West Coast California Operations of NASA. She's also the Manager of Astronaut Selection. And there's so many questions. Let me just jump right into it. April, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Um, I'd love to have you open with an introduction for the audience, and then we'll jump right in.
0: Yeah, thanks, Lars. Thanks for having me. Um, This is really exciting. I think I was super excited when I met you at the Talent Summit in Dublin earlier this year and said, hey, you should come be on the podcast and talk about astronaut selection. So um, I'm excited to be here, share a little bit of insights into that. Um, I've actually been in this role for a little over a year, although astronaut selection has been um, with NASA and at the Johnson Space Center here in Houston since uh, 1978. So, this process has long been a part of, you know, something that's near and dear to NASA's heart. Um, I've been with NASA for, gosh, almost 15 years. I can't believe it's actually been that long. Um, in human capital for the entire time, and I've worked with the Johnson Space Center in Houston, that uh, is one of the the main uh, human space flight centers that we have at NASA. And just recently, and by recent, I mean the last three, three and a half years, have started working with uh, the California centers, um, as you mentioned in the intro. So um, it's been a great time with NASA. I've had a variety of really cool assignments. I think the astronaut selection manager is probably uh, most cool. Uh, so it's a, I'm I'm happy to be here to talk about that and share with folks and um, just really honored that I get to be a part of this particular part of NASA's mission. Um, so looking forward to the conversation today.
1: Yeah, and I mean let's let's be real for a little bit too. Like you probably have one of the cooler recruiting <laughs> jobs on the planet, right? Like astronaut selection. I mean, I've talked to some pretty cool uh, you know people recruiting some really interesting roles. They weren't astronauts, so they were an astronaut. I'm really excited to dig into that process with you. But before we kind of get into some of the mechanics of the astronaut selection process, you know, you you joined, as you mentioned, um, almost 15 years ago. What, you know, were you, were, you know, were, did you fit the category of the person that I described in the intro? Were you somebody who was, you know, drawn to space and space travel and space exploration prior to joining NASA?
0: yeah i i hope i don't get my nasa fan club card revoked when i answer this question i i actually wasn't you know super into space and nasa's mission i i knew we had a space program knew what kinds of things were going on um but just it wasn't on my radar i think we hear a lot from folks that come and apply for astronauts that they've dreamed of you know going to space their entire lives but a big part of that was because I I didn't know that there was a place for someone like me. And by like me, I mean a non-technical person, um, you know, not an engineer, not a scientist, not a researcher. I I wasn't aware that there was a place for me um, at NASA. So it just wasn't on my radar, I think, as much as folks that see a really clear tie to what they love and what they do um, with the NASA mission. So, when I actually got the call, um, I got it from a contractor company that worked um, held positions within the HR office here at Johnson Space Center. I was really surprised um, and really excited. And I will say it was the NASA brand that pulled me in and said, oh, there's a place for me here and I want to know more about that. Um, now, with, with that being said, I will say one of the things that I think that NASA does a really good job at is if you haven't been tied to the mission, is getting you tied to the mission as soon as you come here. So within my first, I don't know, maybe 90 days, um, I was sent on a trip down to Kennedy Space Center, which is with another one of our main human, flight, human space flight centers, um, and saw a shuttle launch. So that was the first time that I had seen like a launch in person. So you know, talk about getting into the mission. If you haven't been into that before, there's no way that you could not be into it once you see a shuttle launch. So. While I wasn't um, a big big space fan before that, it didn't take me long uh, to recognize the power of the brand of NASA when I was called and then really get tied to the mission with some of those early activities that they helped me be a part of. So, you know, I think that's a lesson for folks that look at our agency and think it's like heavily technical, only engineers can be there. We have most of the positions that a Fortune 500 company would have. You know, there's a, a big operations behind the mission support, as we call it. Um, so, you know, I just I say that to let other people know they can find their place too if they're not a part of the technical side of the house.
1: Yeah, and I definitely want to come back to that point because I imagine there's a lot of you know redefiners watching and listening right now who are uh, curious how they might find themselves at NASA one day. But I want to come back to that mission. First, because you talked about the importance of the mission within NASA and how they really wanted you as a new hire to feel that from day one. I mean, you know, we all talk about wanting to work for mission-driven companies, and you know, we all—I think most companies—try to find a mission that really resonates with uh, with potential hires. But I mean, NASA's mission: exploring the unknown in air and space, innovates for the benefit of humanity and inspires the world through discovery, like. That sort of a mission, obviously, you know, very lofty mission, but when you look at the history, also very real and tangible. It's not just an aspirational mission. It's it's, it's the blend of both aspiration and real. And I'm curious, you, you kind of touched on this a little bit in your own onboarding, but how do you, how does NASA think about, you know, operationalizing that mission throughout the HR kind of operating system. I know you kind of run by human capital there. So when you think about weaving that into from, you know, on from recruiting to onboarding, to development, what is that? How does that show up? How do you, how do you do that?
0: Yeah, I, I would say that what I just talked about was my experience and onboarding that that is an ongoing experience. Um, and it, it's part of what we do with our human capital workforce. Um, is just to make sure that you're staying close to the mission. Sometimes in the work that we do, it's easy to forget. It can feel a little mundane. You know, there's a lot more sexy jobs at our agency than what we do in human capital sometimes. And so making sure that people, you know, get those experiences, that they go to different parts of the agency. Um, A lot of our leadership development programs house their modules at different NASA centers. There's 10 different NASA centers, very different missions, different things that are going on. And the closer we can keep our people to that, I, that's through tours, uh, you know, lecture series that really bring you to the table of what your customer, what your client is dealing with. I would say that we continue to do that, not just in your onboarding. It's a big part of coming on board, but it's also a big part of staying on board because um, our jobs are, are really challenging sometimes. And it can feel like you're just kind of pushing around you know, paper or doing some of the you know, things that don't bring you as much excitement all the time, you know, there's some really cool things about our work. But when you understand what, why what you're doing matters to your customer, um, I think that really helps folks stay connected to the mission. We, uh, we, we really try to employ um, a partnership kind of model with our human capital folks and our technical customers. And so, Again, when you're at the table and you hear, you know, hey, if, if we can't dive into this particular human capital project project to take care of our folks, this is what it means for our mission. Um, it, it really helps you stay tied to this is why I do the work that I do, you know, meeting the people, for example, you know, astronauts, they are all over at different centers as well. So folks get to see them as real people, not just somebody that's in a different part of NASA um, and so it's always just making sure our folks have exposure to different parts of the mission so that you don't forget and just kind of get your head down in the day to day grind. Um, and I find that to be really effective with people understanding the importance of what we do as it ties to the the technical mission of NASA.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's so interesting too because you have so many different missions happening all the time. Yeah. Uh, right. And so there's so many opportunities to really um connect with that. And I think frankly, probably, you know, uh, you know, not necessarily fine, but maybe rekindle that that magic of why people came there. Because I, you know, last year I had a chance to sit down with uh, Jane Dada, your former CHRO, and she talked just about some of the retention, um, you know, opportunities and challenges, right, at NASA. A place like NASA, people don't tend to leave, right? They wanna, they wanna be there. And so we talked about how they were you were in many ways kind of immune to the great resignation during that period of time. And I want to kind of get into careers a bit with you as well because as you mentioned you've been there for for 15 years I think you've had three at least three roles over that time. You know, what is it like navigating an internal career within NASA?
0: Yeah, I you know because we have 10 different NASA centers and a lot of different missions there's a lot of opportunity to get exposure to those different types of things. And I would say over the last, you know, several years, I would even say one of the benefits Um, if there was anything good that came out of COVID that when it it really gave us permission to look even more across uh, center lines and to work together. Uh, So there are always projects that are being shared across our centers. Uh, We've probably, I don't know if it's maybe been almost 10 years ago now, but we have an internal talent marketplace and that really helps people understand what are all the opportunities that are available to me. One of the things that I think NASA also does well is um, we do a lot of what we call details, but they're, they're temporary assignments. You can go off for six months or a year and do something different, a different organization, uh, you know, a different center. Um, for me, I work in human capital. I did a three month detail with our commercial crew program. You know, that's the program that really kicked off the partnership with SpaceX and Boeing. So that gave me an opportunity to go check out something else. And then I know what the careers are in that part of the agency as well. Um, The way that I got started with the California office was on a six-month temporary assignment to go and check out something different. So I think we do a nice job of exposing people to what all of the opportunities are. And that could be within your, your field if you're a subject matter expert in some particular technical area. Um, It could be in the leadership kind of feel. With a lot of our development programs, they have uh, detail opportunities as a part of that. So that temporary assignment to go off, Uh, mentoring and shadowing opportunities. So I think we do a really nice job of helping people look across the centers that they're at, looking across the uh, agency to see what's available for them. And I've always found that there's a a culture here that is supportive and helping people figure out what the next thing is for them. Um, and so, you know, our supervisors and our leaders, leadership cadre do a really nice job of it leaves a gap for the organization that they're leaving, but they're supportive and seeing folks grow and move on to different things. So Um, I think that talent marketplace that I mentioned has been a real game changer for people to see what is available. And now it's so much remote work and hybrid work. You know, people are able to work across lines. I sit in Houston, um, but I support uh, most of my customer base on the West Coast, along with being able to do work here in Houston as well. So um, we've really, I think, made some strides in helping people figure out what can be next for them and what those opportunities are. Yeah, I mean, it's so interesting to describe
1: the, you know, being able to have kind of the assignments and the details, because I think when you when you look at best in class companies, organizations, when it comes to retaining talent, one of the things they have in common is they have a view of, you know, this is uh, we talent, not me talent, right? So a hiring manager doesn't get locked into somebody and feel that 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 they they own that person and they can't, they have to get in the way of them having opportunities to move to other roles. They you know yeah, it's painful when you go through a process of hiring somebody and they're fantastic, and then they move to another, yeah, I get it, that hurts, but it's for the betterment of the organization. And I think companies that really get that and instill that in their leaders, uh, I think have such an advantage uh, when it comes to retention and career development. Um, and I want to get into a different type of careers with you now, uh, astronauts. So, I mean, there is, uh, we talked about kind of your role as a uh, manager of astronaut selection. And I know there's, there's astronaut selection, there's mission specific crew selection. Those are different things. So I'd love for you to maybe to kind of describe, you know, your role and maybe contrast that with how, uh, astronaut selections for missions work? Sure.
0: Yeah. So the role that I have is basically the responsibility for managing our process and our program for selecting new NASA astronauts. So anyone that's coming in new to NASA, um, they really come in as what we call an astronaut candidate because there's some a big training curriculum that they go into if they're selected. Um, And then on the flip side of that is when folks are getting selected for missions. That responsibility actually lives with the chief astronaut um, at the Johnson Space Center. And so I I would say there's probably a little bit of of overlap in, in some of the things that we really look for and hone in. On for new astronaut selection, that they're also looking at when they're making a, you know mission selection. For mission selection, you know they're building a crew, so the team cohesion part of that is still really important, which is something we focus on as well during new astronaut selection. Um, and then just looking at what needs to happen during that mission to make sure that you've got the folks with the right skills. Um, also taking into the international complement that we may have as a part of that crew. Um, So that piece is what's really housed within the astronaut office, separate from the work that we do for new astronaut selection. Um, With that, my, you know, my job is there. There's a process. It's a heavy partnership kind of process. So I'm not doing all of astronaut selection by myself. Um, I have a lot of friends that are experts in what they do, and that includes the astronauts themselves. They're considered subject subject matter experts for the role. Um, and a big part is played with our with our uh, behavioral health um, area, um, just to kind of look at some of the more psychological pieces of what we're looking at, and some of the observances around team team cohesion. So, um, once the astronaut office decides, hey, we see that we need to hire new astronauts, which is about is about every four years that we bring in new folks. There's not a lot of attrition. And that office, historically, like you talked about, people come to NASA and they they tend to stay their entire careers. Um, But I basically help manage and coordinate the entire process from, you know, what are the selection criteria that we're looking for? Is that the same as last year, the last time we did it? Is there something new about the missions that we know about the future that we should be building into that? Um, Actually executing what that process looks like. It's a a multi strong holistic approach that takes about two years in total um, so it's a heavy it's a heavy lift and a big load um, and a lot of people play a part in that um, I'm actually a part of those activities so what we call the astronaut selection board that gets to the interview phase of um, what the folks that we bring to Houston for interviews um, I'm a part of that as well with uh, again mostly astronauts that sit on that. And then the deliberations part to really get down to what's the crew that we're gonna put forward for recommendation and selection. So um, that's how those two processes are different from a selection standpoint.
1: HR leaders today are under immense pressure to deliver results for the business, navigate new social and business climates, and build adaptable people programs built for these dynamic times. We're often asked to do more with less The new world of work requires new ways to learn and develop our capabilities as HR and people practitioners. The Amplify Academy was built from the ground up to help people leaders efficiently and effectively connect with diverse learning needs for today and tomorrow. The Amplify Academy provides you with highly curated resources, exclusive content, courses, and a community designed to help people leaders effectively support your organization and each other. There are two components to the Amplify Academy. The Amplify Academy Learning Lab and Community and the Amplify Academy Leadership Development Cohorts. The Learning Lab and Community includes an AI learning platform that includes a range of courses, resources, templates, presentations, reports, and more to support the learning needs of today's HR and people practitioners. The Learning Lab subscriptions also include access to the Amplify Academy Slack community A purpose-designed community to help you build your network equity and connect collaborate and grow your network with peers around the world the amplify academy cohorts are four-week immersive peer learning programs designed to help you build the leadership skills and network you need to lead successful teams in the new world of work cohort students learn from world-class guest instructors with past instructors including katie burke Katarina Berg, Lynn Oldham, Pat Waters, Claude Silver, Nellie Peshkoff, and so many more. Want to supercharge your people team? Be sure to check out the Academy for Teams product. It's designed to give your people teams access to all 450 plus resources in the Learning Lab and build their network equity in the Slack community, as well as their leadership ability in the Amplify Academy cohorts. You can learn more about all of this at AmplifyTalent.com slash Academy. Now, back to the show. Well, first, I love that there's a chief astronaut. <laughs> yeah. that, that might be the coolest job title of any, uh, you know, human. In-
0: You'd have to check with them on that's the coolest job. They got a lot of responsibility in that role for sure. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, you know, I, I would
1: say coolest title. I love my job. I can't imagine a more stressful job uh, than than that. But title, absolutely. Um, you know, you gave a, a great overview of the kind of the the differentiation between those two and, and a, a bit of a window into the selection process. And I'd love to go deeper in that with you, because one of the things that I found fascinating when we spent some time together in Dublin was the overview you gave of the latest selection process and you know number of applications and how that was narrowed down. And I would love for you to just you know I'm sure that's a just a fascinating look inside of a process that typically uh, people just don't don't see. So I'd love for you to maybe just give give an overview of that again from uh you know from the moment, as you mentioned, every four years or so, you you kind of go to market, so to speak, with um you know, now hiring astronauts. Uh, What does that process actually look
0: like? How many applications do you get? How do you narrow that down? Yeah, this is is perfect. I actually gave a lecture to our NASA interns this morning on astronaut selection. So I've got some really fresh numbers in my head. I'll just kind of to wrap it up. In the history of selection, since we have been selecting, there have been 350 Um, astronauts. And over that time, since 1978, we've received over 77,000 applications for those 350 positions. So just to give you a few more examples, in the the 2017 class that we selected, we received over 18,000 applications that year, and we selected a class of 12. Um, that 18,000 was a record number for us. Uh, this just past class that we had, the class of 2021, we received over 12,000 applications and we selected a class of 10. So it's a, a highly competitive, you know, application process. Um, again, taking a whole bunch of uh, different pieces of that to kind of narrow that down. And, and basically what we do is we're looking at a funnel concept where you're going from these massive amounts of Applications to really try to get down to selecting a class between eight and fourteen, um, which is which is a, a tough job. And over the past couple of years, we have put some things in the process to kind of help manage that volume because that is a massive workload, even for an agency like us. That's really a lot to pine through. So, folks apply to be an astronaut just like they do any other government NASA job through you know USA Job. It's a, a job marketplace for the federal government. And at the beginning of that process, we have put in some uh, competency-based assessments that really have folks kind of self-assess some of the top technical competencies that flown astronauts have worked with our behavioral health folks to say, these are the top non-technical things that folks need to have when they come into the role. Um, And I, I don't, there's not a surprise or anything, I think, super you know, secret about what those are. You're looking at things like leadership, you know, followership, agility, adaptability, the ability to learn, you know, react quickly under pressure. So we're assessing some of that very early on to really hone in on those folks that really have those skills and have experiences that have honed those skills for them. Um, so that really helps us manage a volume of applications like 18,000. Uh, from there, we have basic qualifications to be an astronaut. Um, I think earlier, we talked about, you know, someone wanting to know what to study in school, you have to have a degree in a STEM field. So something in, you know, science or engineering or technology or math, those kinds of fields to qualify to be an astronaut. Um, There's also a, you know, a physical component of that that is a requirement. And basically, that's just to make sure that the folks that we are selecting um, have a high probability to be successful through the training. It's you know, incredibly, you know, physically taxing. Um, there's a mental part of that as well. Um, so early on, we're looking for folks that can, that can pass a, a long duration flight physical. As NASA starts to look at more long duration missions, we need to make sure that people can be healthy if we're going to assign them to missions. Um, they have to have a master's degree. Uh, that, that is a, a requirement that we often look at to see what's the most common level of education that our cadre has. Um, and then they also have to have some work experience beyond that. So there's a minimum qualifications piece to that. Um, we have an astronaut rating panel, uh, which basically goes through a really big pool of applications to determine who the highly qualified folks are. And from there, those folks move on to what we call the astronaut selection board. And just like any other interview, you know, or selection process, um, there's an interview that's a piece of that, and there are reference checks that are a piece of that. So. That's pretty normal. And then we bring uh, folks to Houston for interviews. We have a couple of rounds of interviews. um, And that's really where we are able to kind of observe and dig into and see people's behaviors around those non-technical competencies that I spoke about before. So during the time that they're with us, um, it's about four days to a week, um, depending on which round of interviews that they come from. There are a lot of different activities that we plan for them that basically immerse them um, in what they might experience if they were an astronaut. So how are they functioning as a team? You know, if you have to switch roles and now you become the leader, I'm sorry, the follower, you're no longer the leader in the team. Um, You know, what happens when you're working on a tools exercise with your hands and you get a really quick time constraint thrown at you or something that you weren't expecting? Um, So basically, they're in a fishbowl for that time that they're with us, which is really interesting to watch. I'm sure it's incredibly (laughs) nerve wracking for them. Um, But a part of that is also, you know, psychological assessments with our psychologists that come in from all across the country. Again, HR is not an expert in that. So we lean on our friends that do have expertise to really look at what's the suitability of this person to go into this job. And so through all of this stuff, we, we generate hundreds of data points on each candidate that we bring to Houston, um, and, which is a massive amount of information to kind of comb through and figure out. That's why I say the deliberations are really tough. Um, and from that, we are able to you know, recommend a team of astronauts. I think what also surprises folks about that is we are selecting a team. We're not selecting just a couple of individuals that might make good astronauts, because if they are selected for the next two years beyond that, they're going through a basic training, basically, um, on how to be an astronaut. So there's a team piece that we're looking at. And if you change one part of that, then that might change two other pieces of it. So You know, as explaining to the interns this morning, it's not just a list of 10 people with three alternates that if one doesn't work out, you just plop that one in. It's really looking at how will this team work together um, and making sure you've got all the components that you need from a team, all kinds of diversity uh, before making a recommendation for what that team should look like. I hope I did a good summary yeah, of I mean, that. I feel like I went through that very no, quickly.
1: That was, that was great. I mean, did you have a sense, you, you kind of walked through the uh, the total number of applicants. Do you do you have a rough sense, and if you don't, that's okay, of like, as you kind of go down the funnel in each stage, like what those numbers tend to look like as you, beyond that initial applicant pool. Yeah,
0: I can share from our last cycle because it will look different in that assessment phase depending on, you know, kind of where we're looking at, what the, how those assessments score out. Um, But, you know, we went from about over 12,000 this last phase to around 2,500, maybe almost 3,000. The rating panel's job is to get it down to about 500 that they pass on to the Astronaut Selection Board. We interview 120 in the first round, roughly, uh, and roughly 30 to 50 in the second round. Um, And then you're picking a class. The classes have ranged from... Eight to 14, 14 is a little big, but eight to 14 is what you're looking to come out with most of the time.
1: Yeah. And will always say, you know, recruiters know what your funnel looks like. Uh, you know what your funnel yeah. looks like. That's a, that's a big funnel. Yeah. Um, I want to talk to you about the, the latest mission, uh, Artemis 2. So, you know, last month, the, um, the mission astronauts were selected and announced uh, Artemis 2, for those of you that aren't familiar is a mission that will get humans back on the moon, Um, but it's not just humans back on the moon. It's gonna be a groundbreaking mission because it'll be the first um, black astronaut on the moon and the first woman astronaut on the moon. And I would love to just get your perspective. I mean, obviously you've been, you know, as both a black woman, but also as somebody responsible for not, you know, this mission selection, but astronaut selection in general. What did that mean? What was that moment like for you? You know, when you obviously you you knew who would be selected, but when you're watching the press conference, you're watching the introductions, you're seeing the reaction. How did that make you feel? I would love to just get a sense of what that was like for you personally. Yeah,
0: I have a lot of thoughts about that actually, Lars. So I didn't know who was being selected. They they keep that okay. very quiet. I'm not even sure that the entire astronaut office knew who was being selected. So. I watched right along with everybody else, you know, with bated breath. I've worked with a lot of folks in that office over the years. Um, so, you know, I, I felt very, you know, excited. I always get very emotional around things like that. So, you know, happy tears. Um, you know, I would say at a really, a really basic level, I felt really proud in that moment. You know, if any if anyone's paid attention to what the NASA workforce looks like, over the last 60 years, there is a, a, a dramatic change with the level of diversity, all kind of diversity, you know, that we have. So I I felt proud to see Victor on the stage. I felt proud to see Christina on the stage. And, you know, we talked a little earlier about being tied to the mission. And one of the things that made me feel proud was that I feel like I'm at an agency that's walking the log like we are we are doing what we say we want to do. We're trying to be about what we say we want to be about. Um, And, you know, there's a commitment that I think NASA has to diversity and inclusion and equity. And you asked earlier, you know, how you you operationalize some of the mission stuff. Um, I think the way you operationalize that is that you bring new and different voices into the room. And so that's, Me as a you know a black woman coming into this position, and that's Victor as the first black astronaut that will go to the moon, and Christina as the first woman astronaut that will go to the moon, Um, and so there's a there's a lot of pride in just being a part of an agency that is taking steps in the direction that they say they want to take steps in, Um, and so when I think about that, I think about the possibilities are endless for me and for others. There, there are obviously doors that are open now that haven't always been open for people that look like me. Um, And I, you know, I think, I think being very visible as well. So the Artemis 2 crew is, I mean, they're everywhere. So the world is getting to see, you know, a crew that they can relate to, I hope. Uh, so the other part of what I feel about that is a lot of responsibility. If I'm, you know, completely honest, is in a couple of ways. You know, one is the astronaut selection manager. Our goal is always to select a crew that is representative of our nation. Um, the astronauts are the face of NASA. So when they are out and promoting whatever is going on at NASA or promoting STEM education. We want folks to be able to relate to them in all kinds of ways. So being able to see a Black astronaut or a woman astronaut on this really important mission, I think, is important. So I feel a sense of responsibility in making sure that we continue to build diversity into our astronaut corps so we can continue to do that. Uh, The other part of that is, and I hope this doesn't sound like it comes from a place of ego, but... Also being visible on platforms like you, you know, giving me this opportunity today to kind of talk with you and and your your base about what this role looks like. Um, And again, I don't I don't say that from a place of ego, but when people see a black woman in a, I would say, a very prestigious position for NASA, you know, one of probably the most visible, then I think folks can see themselves. You can't really see yourself in a place if you don't see anybody that looks like you there. Uh, So, you know, I think there's a responsibility in that, too, and kind of sharing the work that we're doing and, you know, having people know that we do have diversity in these positions so that they do feel like it's a place. NASA is a place that they can come, you know, and work and be successful and have opportunities and feel like they belong there because that's been my experience here. So. There's a, there's a little bit of, you know, I would say just feeling personally responsible for making the most of this opportunity and the platform and, you know, for Black women, for women, for, you know, folks that come from a very humble background, folks that may be the first in their family to go to college, um, just letting people know that there's a place even at NASA. I think sometimes folks say, hey, there's not a place for me at NASA, but um, I think, you know, I want to be an example and a representation of there is a spot here for you too. So there's a lot wrapped up when it, when you talked about that question earlier, I was like, man, I have a lot of feelings about that actually. So thank you for asking that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, look, Aver, I really appreciate your, you know, your, your feedback and your response and your thoughts. And I think, you know, you, you hit on so many important points, but a lot of it is comes down to representation. Mm-hmm right it's like how do we how do we allow the an agency that's supposed to be representative of the country that it represents how do we allow people in this next generation of future astronauts to see themselves on the moon on Mars you know doing other incredible missions so um, yeah I just I, I, I was so excited to see it but I, and I deeply appreciate your feedback uh, and just kind of personal thoughts on what it means to you um I'm sure we have a lot of uh, listeners who would you know, be very mad at me if I didn't ask this last question before we jump into the lightning round. Uh, if people are interested in working with you at NASA one day in the future, what is the best way for them to you know, think about applying for roles at NASA?
0: Yeah, I'd say the first thing is just to take a look and see what's out there. I, I think a lot of times people don't even explore it because it seems like it's, a little too far off. Um, and there's a lot of opportunities like we talked about before there, there are, you know, 10 centers that we have, so many different work kinds of work that you can come into. And so not just technical folks, you know, we gotta have finance folks to figure out how the money kind of supports all of these things that we do. Um, and I think I mentioned before, you know, everything that we have is on USA jobs, which was a, a government platform where you apply for jobs here. Um, So I would just encourage people to look and see what's out there. I think a lot of times we're just really easy to dismiss. You know, I don't think there's something that's there for me. Um, And, I, you know, I'd say if people have a passion for the type of work that we do, that that should definitely be their driver if they're looking for for jobs at NASA. Um, We tell people that are applying for astronauts. To be astronauts that all the time, you know, don't just tick any boxes that kind of get you to where you want to go. You really have to enjoy the work that you're going to be doing, the types of things that you're going to be doing. or You're just going to be seeking other employment at some point. Um, But, you know, there's I think there's so many things that are available for folks if they just go and take a look out there. So I just encourage folks to kind of open up their, their realm of possibilities like I talked about before, um, and see what's out there for them. You don't have to be an engineer. You don't have to be a scientist. We need all kinds of people, you know, everywhere in the country from all different backgrounds to really help us have the best of the best to accomplish some really hard things. Our work is really hard. So, you know, I, I would love for people to feel like they can find a spot for them and really take a look and see what the possibilities are for them.
1: Well, April, thank you so much for walking us through, you know, your role NASA's mission, how they're operationalizing that mission inside of the people function and so much more. You know, we, we close every episode with a lightning round to help the audience get to know you a little bit better. And we always start with
0: music. So uh, what was your first concert? Well, I can tell you my last concert was Taylor Swift last weekend. Oh, <laughs> so, you
1: scored Taylor tickets. So okay, barely guys. and with the help All
0: of right. a very good friend. So, uh, yeah, that was the last concert I was at. My first concert, I I grew up in a small town in Louisiana. So country music was a staple in that part of the country. And so my first concert is actually uh, John Michael Montgomery, if anyone's familiar with country music. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually yeah. I don't know how how huge of a fan I was, but I love live music. So I will go to anything that's live. Um And we were going with my friend's big sister. So we felt like we were having, you know, a really big experience. So that that was my first concert.
1: (laughs) All right. We're uh, we're shifting the screen.
0: Uh, What was your latest binge? Uh, Gosh, what? We haven't been watching a ton of TV. The Mark Tart on Netflix. Yeah. It's a it's a story oh, yeah. about um a heart transplant and that's all I'll say because I don't want to give it away. I don't like when people ruin that for me, but yes, a heart transplant. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. All right. I will 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 it at that. I'll
1: have to check that out. Um and last question for you, what is bringing you joy lately?
0: Oh, man. This is going to sound scripted, but it's it's not. I swear it isn't. Um my work is bringing me a lot of joy lately. I there have just been some really Incredible engagement with you know people, my customers this year. Um, you know, like meeting you, Lars, at the Talent Summit in Dublin. Uh, there's just it's brought me a lot of energy. I think I've kind of swung from the introvert to the extrovert side of things after being isolated a bit during COVID. Um, but I'm feeling very energized by a lot of just the engagements and interactions. Some of those face to face, more face to face this year than I think I've had in a while. But yeah, I'm getting a lot of energy and a lot of joy from that. All right. Well,
1: I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad that uh, us getting a chance to catch up in Dublin and meet was, uh, you know, a part of that joy. I had a lot of fun and really appreciate you making time to share um, just the work that you and NASA are doing on the podcast. So uh, keep that joy going. Wishing you all the best with Artemis too. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll have some, uh, some new future NASA colleagues who might be inspired by this episode and overcome that imposter syndrome and apply to space. Yeah, I hope
0: so. I look forward to seeing a whole bunch of applications the next time. (laughs) Yeah. And thank (laughs) you, Lars, for having me. All
1: right, April, take care. All right, you too. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Redefining Work. For more information on the podcast, past episodes, future guests, and more, be sure to check out amplifytalent.com slash podcast. And if you dig this podcast, I strongly encourage you to share it with your CEO, leadership team, and friends to help others discover it. And if you really dig this podcast, I'd love for you to leave a review on Spotify or Apple or wherever your preferred podcast delivery vehicle is. We'll see you next episode.